0: To the StockFam Investor Education Podcast. Whether you're a seasoned investor or one of the millions of people entering the market for the first time, StockFam provides the fundamentals to help you grow your wealth. This is a podcast for investors. We give quality companies the chance to tell their stories while providing you with the tools to invest wisely. If you want to get out in front of the herd instead of being a part of it, join us at StockFam. In this episode of the StockFan Podcast, Sean and Hammy welcome the CEO of 3D Capital, Sheldon Inmontage. 3D Capital is a publicly traded venture capital firm that endorses, funds, and plays a proactive role with high-potential disruptive technology-based companies in multiple verticals. With over 30 years of investing experience, Sheldon dives into his investing philosophies, both past and present. Additionally, He provides insight as to where he believes the world is headed in regards to digital currency, blockchain, NFTs, the metaverse, and the utilization of technology in the minerals and rare earths domain. Sheldon discusses some of 3D's quality holdings such as Tenet FinSec Group and technologies, ToteQ and premium nickel resources. Sean, Hammy and Sheldon highlight why 3D Capital is a unique and attractive investment opportunity followed by some final words of wisdom from sheldon himself we hope you enjoyed this episode and without further delay it is our pleasure to welcome sheldon in welcome
1: back to another video we hope you're doing very good indeed today indeed we have a special guest uh, Mr. Sheldon Inventash, the CEO of 3D Capital, who's joined us today. Sheldon, a great pleasure to have you. Um, it is again, it's been long overdue, and we've had so many Thank people you. waiting for this opportunity to. So we can sit down and have a chat with you. Very warm welcome.
2: Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, so I think the
3: first thing we'd like to jump into just to give everyone a sense of, you know, who you are and, and what you've kind of accomplished is kind of go over your philosophy for what you're doing with 3D capital. Uh, it's important for investors to to understand that, you know, this isn't your first venture in, into building um, a capital fund like this, uh, you know, pine tree back in the day, you built that to over a billion dollars, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 770 million in assets. Um, so maybe kind of go through your philosophy and, you know, some of the things that you learned from your, your days with Pine Tree and how you're relating that to 3D Capital today.
2: No, absolutely. Um, well, first thing, uh, you know, Pine Tree was a very interesting evolution, uh, basically from 1992 to 2012 or something like that. So um, we had many big years, and a lot of people bought homes uh, based on their investment in pine tree. Uh, but the philosophy then is the same philosophy I have now, but there's a differentiation. And the philosophy is, you know, I, I've tended to be reasonably accurate in where I think the world is going, whether on the macro level, on macroeconomic level, um, and the technology evolution level. Um, I used to be an oil and gas analyst in, in the 80s, and you know, I realized that uh, you know, it's not going to go forever, and there's got to be other forms of energy uh, before the clean world. And so I kind of look at the, the big picture, and then I drill down and I go, okay, these are the four, five, six verticals I want to be in because there's going to be pull demand for their technologies or products or minerals uh, depending on this, and, and everything is based on cycles, as you all well know. Uh, the differentiation, you know, with pine tree was I, I basically invested in, I probably overinvested in a number of companies. Um, even though we had many big exits, uh, the 3D capital is much more measured, in fewer investments, more hands-on. I'm very hands-on right now uh, with my son Jackson. And uh, we keep in touch with all our companies. Uh, you know, we advise many of them. And that sort of differs from the way Pine Tree was. But in terms of the big picture, it's the same philosophy.
3: Right. So so what are you seeing macro level now that's kind of changed in the last few years? Uh, and Where do you see things going? Because, you know, you have a fairly... You know, even split. Well, it's a little bit heavier on the tech side than the junior mining side. So, what are you seeing in the next three to five years uh, for where everything's kind of headed towards?
2: So, I've I've always been, you know, I, I won't say a gold bug, but you know, my background's in a CPA, so I read financial statements and I look at the financial statements of the, you know, U.S. government primarily. Uh, it's pretty pretty well mirrored in the rest of the world, but maybe more measured there, and it's basically just a debt balloon. And so i that's what really gave me the impetus in the early 2000s, you know, and actually I did it with uh, with Eric and a lot of, Eric's brought a lot of investments is really go very deep into gold as the hedge against currency risk, which is a function of balance sheet risk. And so that theme has never left me. Um, I believe that the 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 new paradigm shift is in digital currencies of which many people in the gold market won't accept but I totally accept and I frankly I believe that you know let's call it bitcoin which is the ultimate brand in a digital currency is is a headwind for gold if I believe if bitcoin didn't exist gold would be higher but not that they you know they're mutually exclusive I believe they can coexist but that is that is a key feature of you know why we are involved in alternative investments slash the mineral side, uh, which is based more on discovery. Um, and then uh, also on the blockchain side, I believe in blockchain as a utility big time. I believe it's gonna add value and, and improve the supply chains, uh, reduce costs, reduce friction, more transparency even though there's headwinds uh, uh, from, a, let's call it a governmental standpoint, I believe it's going to prevail, it's going to have its life, and it's going to go deeper and deeper into society. So that then brings out the whole area of digital technology. And that is obviously exploding for other reasons um, with the, you know, the COVID pandemic and everything else. So, so these things, in my view, all tie together. Um, then, and from the mineral standpoint, you know, a new paradigm, it's not new. I was involved in it 10 years ago as a whole area of rare earths, which is a function of technology and the advancement of technology to create new materials. So that is, uh, also, uh, a focus of ours. Uh, there are not that many, uh, viable deposits on the planet. Uh, but because it wasn't my first rodeo, I've been able to really figure out the, the prime suspects in terms of the companies to invest in. So, you know, really it has to do with macro sort of currency risk and then technology. And then out of that technology is coming new industries like EV, ESG, environmentally sensitive uh, uh, materials, uh, products, et cetera. You know, we're, we're witnessing, we're all witnessing the the hottest summer of my lifetime and you know even though the weather's nice it's 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 caused a lot of damage and fires and everything else so so they're they're really the one thing i say to people and sorry for being long-winded is that in the olden days it used to be you invest in gold precious metals you they went up the stock market went down and then you had vice versa great stock market and and obviously interest rates were a function of that today there are multiple verticals that no one ever Realized would occur and it's snowballing it's going exponential in the last i'll call it 10 years and we're seeing companies whether it be on the biotech side i mean moderna is bigger than Merck today and who would have thought that 10 years ago you would have never thought a startup could actually get there that quickly so uh there are so many places to invest and to me it's the most exciting time of my venture capital lifetime uh based on, on on how the world's evolving
1: Brilliant. Sheldon, um, that's correct. We are at that inflection point in technology and uh, most of these tech companies were founded during uncertain times. You look at Uber, you look at Apple, most of them were founded during the times of hardship economically mostly. I wanted to ask you about Canada. What are the challenges that you see that these new young tech companies are facing in the country? Because I think we are attracting the brightest talents from around the world, and we have a very strong education system here. Do you think Canada could can overtake the US or even match them perhaps in the next couple of years?
2: I, you know, we have a population differential. They have a machine down there that's called the US military and the US college system that we cannot compete against. There's no way. But, you know, uh, Bill Gates with Microsoft has been recruiting my, uh, engineers from Waterloo University just outside Toronto for probably 30 years. So we have outstanding schools. We have outstanding entrepreneurs. Um, We don't have the venture capital system that the U.S. has that really allows best of breed companies to get financed before they go public. In other words, they are sponsored with great, you know, ex-CEOs join VC firms and really can give their mentorship to these emerging technologies. So. Do I believe we uh, this is and hence there's the opportunity because I believe that uh, and I see it. I see a firm like HC Wainwright coming up to Canada and buying left and right uh, blockchain firms because the valuations in Canada are a fraction of what they would be in the US trading on NASDAQ, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously the evolution is get to NASDAQ and you'll bump your valuation. But in terms of minds, we have our fair share of brilliance here, um, but I would, so I would say that we don't have the same intensi- intensity of capital to support these, these emerging companies and ideas.
3: Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, one issue that you know we kind of identified is the, the access to capital for Canadian tech companies. They you know they typically have to go public sooner than than they than they maybe should because there's just not that access to capital. So is 3D Capital kind of trying to build towards being that venture? Cap kind of firm that can kind of bring these companies along and be like that in in the United States and get that access to capital to where um, you can kind of bring these companies along and help them grow. Like you, you take Peak for example, Peak FinTech, um, they just raised 52 million million dollars. I mean, you know, five years ago that's probably unheard of um, in Canada. Like, what, what are you kind of seeing seeing
2: there? Well, you know, we are a microcosm of the U.S. and I and I believe that really what we're doing in 3D. There are other people are doing it in different ways through family offices and and otherwise like there's a lot more breadth and depth uh, in the investment uh, space in Canada because of companies like Shopify that have just created tremendous Mm -hmm. wealth uh, and breadth to that wealth. And then a lot of the family offices tend to be businesses that families had reinvested their money and now suddenly are finding it's uh, it's a lot of fun and they like to build investing in juniors. But they'll do it more as uh, a portfolio type of thing, where they'll have safe investments and so forth. Yeah. The differentiation with 3D is, and it was the same with Pine Tree. I said, I, you know, I'm here for 50 baggers. That's 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 all I'm here for. I'm here mm-hmm. to find the needle in the haystack. And you know, I felt Peak was one. It was a struggling company. I, I had to chase the company for a month before they'd return my phone calls. Um, I had a vision of what I think they could be. It's way exceeded that. I must admit, uh, it snowballed, and I I didn't think management was as good as it was. I didn't know. I wouldn't say I didn't think it. I didn't know them. Mm-hmm. And you know, the the one thing about Canada is we lack the same type of entrepreneurs, the serial entrepreneurs that you have in the U.S. that have great management teams that have done it before that is probably our number one weakness so that's what you know we identify here at 3d and we go listen you know you need help we'll give you help from this standpoint that standpoint and try to make up for the gaps in your knowledge and your experience and you know that's what we do Uh, that's what i've i've done you know a big part of my career
1: that's brilliant um Sheldon, I also wanted to talk about digitization. That's a real fact that we are, you know, going through if I am a nurse, so you know, I'm a boring guy. I listen to conference calls and earnings calls, you know, every afternoon when I go for a walk or a jog. That's that's my that's my entertainment and hobby. I've seen an increasing trend in a number of CEOs who are talking about metaverse digitization, and that's a very um rapidly accelerating um, trend. I want to talk about one of your companies that you have. You also interviewed the CEO of that particular company, and that's Todeky. Um, they in a very particularly interesting yet unknown um, space. Would you be able to elaborate more on what Todeky is, and also why did you invest in Todeky so early on?
2: Well, I actually invested uh, in Todeky I think I invested in the protocol TOTA before TOTAQ. So we are very involved in TOTA. In fact, um, we have five other startups that really are immaterial in terms of their investment, but they're really starting to come into the light. So there's a whole TOTA ecosystem that's based on this protocol. That's not blockchain, but is scalable and accomplishes what blockchain has not been able to accomplish and that is really what sort of led as to, totocq as as an application and Toto Q, listen all major successes in my experience have all pivoted they've all started off with one way and then they've realized you know there's a wall there's a <laughs> there's a cliff whatever it is and take what they have and they don't change they don't they, they don't change businesses but they just morph and evolve and Toto Q has done that and uh, the victory amongst that and and really what TotalQ is now is a fraction of what TotalQ will, will become. Um, they are, you know, they, they're really Internet 3.0. They have created this whole world of containerizations, which I am now seeing to be replicated. But what they did is they had so many applications that, for a small company, which is undercapitalized, because all small companies are undercapitalized, they had a problem, I think, in focusing on one thing and having that. first thing COVID came into it and really disrupted their ability to do some things that they were doing in a very exciting way in South Korea. But what they did is, you know, uh, Hassan Khan, who's very capable and realized that, you know, We've we've got to change. I can't go to South Korea anymore. I can't be face to face. And and they've got to attract capital. And they morphed into the whole area of identification. So to basically prove people's originality or, or their 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 DNA, if you will. And this caught the interest of Red Hat slash IBM in doing their transactions and so forth. And i this is a small subset of what i sort of see this company and this technology and protocol being able to do but you know to do a deal with red hat ibm and they're and they're they're working with both sides of that of that major those major enterprises um and with a launch that's coming so they announced just recently massive milestone uh not really you know, it's funny when you're private, you know, you don't get this, you don't measure it. You can't measure it in the same way you can measure a public company because the stock goes up. And Mm -hmm. so here you are, you're excited. And we put up as 3D capital a a bit more money uh, into this, into a a bridge kind of round that's going on right now. Um, We introduced this whole graphene uh, vertical to them um, that is re- is going to become part of their backbone on their asset base that's going to under underpin uh, Tota notes, which is going to be there like token if you were if it was a, if it was a traditional sort of crypto company. So uh, Tota is an extremely uh, disruptive platform. Uh, the underlying protocol as well as what Totaq is doing utilizing that protocol in many different verticals. So, it's one of these companies that, you know, because it's private, we can't, you know, we don't arm wave, we don't talk about it very often, um, but it could be probably one of one of many surprises to come out of our portfolio.
3: Yeah, excellent. Speaking of another surprise that could be coming out of the portfolio, uh, PNR is another one that we've kind of looked uh, deeply into. We know that it was one of, if not the biggest copper nickel mine in the world at one point in time, if not still today. Um, billions of dollars invested into it. Unfortunately, it was uh, shut down, I believe, in 2010 or so, like in that area, when copper prices and that kind of tank. So, maybe talk a little bit about PNR and, and uh, how that's going and what the plans are for bringing that public. If, if you're able to talk about it at all.
2: No, I can I can talk about it in in a in a, in a certain amount. It's it's a private company. Uh, we own approximately 10% of the company. I started uh working on this project with uh an associate arno brand who's a namibian uh in 2018. so we were doing what we have another company called one bullion it's private but we were basically um creating you know a massive incubator of potential what i it was a very depressed time in the gold market and, and we basically were able to secure major wafts of swaths of land uh that uh, are very, very, uh, you know, potential, potentially lucrative here uh, uh, with these prices of gold. Uh, but while we were doing that, you know, and that was sort of on the side, we came across the fact that this asset was, uh, was in bankruptcy and was going to um, a competitive process uh, for resurrection. And at one point it was part of this deposit was the old lion ore. And I believe Lionor sold for something like eight billion dollars. There's a lot of there's a lot of Lamborghinis around Vancouver because of Lionor. Um, And this is much bigger than Lionor. There's nine properties in it. We were able to and I put forward my balance sheet on 3D Capital to get access to the data room and be a qualified bidder. And then we were narrowed down. We found, I think, the best management team that there is in nickel. That is not at a big, large company, and we collaborated to go to become the preferred bidder, and now uh, we're hoping within 45 days to go to a definitive agreement, which is a massive milestone. And um, we've shown the project to really smart geos and investors and whatever, and they're they're over the moon on the potential upside like so currently there's a major asset there in terms of nickel copper and you know if you uh, with with pgm credits but if you look at the ev market today and batteries and so forth nickel is a serious problem um, to get and not only that the nickel uh, you know, let's call it buyers need it to be clean it needs to be green so mm-hmm you know, you can't have these dirty old smelters, which this company had and was shut down. And so we're acquiring it with no, uh, not taking on the environmental responsibilities of that. And we're going to turn it into a fully green mine. Um, So the, the, the upside there is tremendous, but the drilling upside, we think could potentially, you know, put this in the category of a Boise Bay. And, you -hmm. know, I know that's big word speaking but the system we know goes for nine kilometers and this group that's done all this work uh you know is they've been there many times you know uh we've done a lot of due diligence our application was i think three or four hundred pages um you know like about six feet off the ground uh so we've done everything from metallurgy to engineering to geological assessment and everything so uh this could be just um you know i won't say a sleeper because it's not but it's private uh and we're hoping that we'll be public uh, probably q1 next year
1: incredible brilliant thank you so much have do you have a follow-up question or no go ahead i wanted to ask you um sheldon um i was going through your background i have to be honest um, and I found out that, that you're also a, a very keen art collector Um, and that's an interesting topic. Maybe not many people know Um connecting art to the nfts. Do you think nfts were a temporary short-term hype? Or do you think that will have a future?
2: No, I think nfts have a massive future, but not necessarily in art and um, you know, yes, i'm a collector of contemporary art and I think collecting art in the way I do is very similar to the way I run my business, you know, where I take emerging artists and I bet on them. I ask a bunch of questions, do my due diligence, visit them in the studio, look at their uh, track record of exhibitions and whatever it is. And it's, you know, I've punched in the, you know, like in the 80, 90% success rate there. Um, but NFTs, I believe are going to have many, many applications. And do I believe it's here to stay? hundred um, percent. Is every company going to be successful? No, um, you know, it's, you know, some people sort of say, why would I pay for a JPEG? And, you know, there, it's, it's about a bit of the mindset and it's a subset of the metaverse where people want to own things that are unique, that only they can have and they can experience and they can share at their own leisure. And it's a very, you know, it's it's a big topic, um, but it's very real, uh, and we are in the in the throes right now of investing in in, in two NFT companies, um, and uh, looking at what is evolving out there. People are going to be quite surprised at the utility of these NFTs, not just a picture of a painting you know, like Beeple or something like that, which it was, I think, a phenomenon. It was basically a couple crypto billionaires just duking it out and it was an ego thing. That's what I believe. I don't believe you can measure that value of 69 million and apply it to everything else, you know, unless currencies become worth nothing. And then, you know, the whole uh, blockchain, or sorry, crypto world just crossed 2 trillion. And I remember when it was 300 billion about, you know, A year and a half ago so you know there's really a legitimacy uh there and that is going to tie in very nicely to nfts
1: brilliant so following up on your betting um obviously you're betting on people but you also bet on younger companies at a very very early stage and we have a lot of young followers um at stock fam who love to invest in these younger companies and obviously make that you know generational wealth if you wish What are the certain factors you look at when you're trying to evaluate these very early on companies that you're betting on, whether it's management, industry, um, maybe, you know, our younger followers can, you know, devise some advice from um, from your experience as well.
2: Well, there's no substitute for grinding it out and doing your own work, you know, whatever that means. You know, people use the word due diligence, it's a it's, it's a nice phrase. But, you know, uh, my experience is you can have a great product with a potential market and you just have management that screws it all up. And it has to do with inexperience. So have they got any experience is, is, is pretty important. Um, there's not too many natural Mark Zuckerbergs out there. I mean, we all know that there's you know dozens of them, but dozens of them over millions of people. Uh, how many failures do many of these people have before they're successful? Um, so people is 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 just, uh, you know, I used to joke that, you know, a great CEO could bring a new fork company and, you know, forks for eating and, and make it successful, you know, because they would know how to market it. They don't have to get their costs down and so forth. Um, you know, you want to also, what I like to see is a proprietary edge I through IP. And that's kind of a big part of what we do as well. We want to know that that company has you know, some protection and there's a barrier to entry, uh, for others entering that same space. So I think the intellectual property, depending if it's technology, obviously is quite important, but you know, it also could be your location of your property. I mean, in, 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 in another application or another industry. So, um, you do as much reading as you can and you ask as many questions as you can, and you don't believe everything you're told.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, 100%. There's so much misinformation out there, you know, our goal is to kind of try and uh, make bridge that gap from retail investors and, and these companies to kind of help promote proper information and and the, the real, you know, quote unquote, due diligence. Um, in terms of you know another company that's kind of emerging that we haven't really talked about that's actually one of my our favorites is is Amp Technologies. Can you touch on Amp a little bit and why you like it? it's been pretty quiet for the last you know two or three months, but which is normal. These companies are head down doing a lot behind the scenes. Um, so what, what's your take on Amp Technologies?
2: Yeah, you know, first thing Amp is a combination of very unique technologies and putting it all together, they've created applications that there is a big and growing need for, whether it's reducing latency, which is big in the video sports arenas and, and other applications. Um, I just got an update on the company. I'm very sensitive to talking about it, um, but I would say that Ampt is where peak FinTech was a year ago, you know, in terms of growing revenue and dem- 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 demonstrating the potential that they could have in the world and and, and niche that they're in.
3: That's well, a, it's a incredible um, comparison, but I mean, it's not out of the realm of like reality. I mean, when we talked to Anthony last, he, he mentioned to us about the pods and how much they could generate and then the virtual production studio, how much that could generate once that all gets going. So he's been very, Um, conservative on on their number projections without really including a lot of this stuff. So, you know, it doesn't take much and with high performance computing um, you know, you can't run AI, machine learning type applications, or digital twinning, or esports off of your typical Amazon AWS service, right? So this high performance computing and, and reducing the latency is going to be very important for a lot of um, digitalization and in, in, in AI and, and whatnot. So I, yeah, I, I agree. I think APT is yeah, going to be very I, I interesting. I think they
2: need. I think they need some uh, uh, some use cases. I mm-hmm. think that's going to be very important, and then people realize how they can it out and and just another point i'll make is that uh facebook zuckerberg came out and basically said he wants facebook to be a metaverse company and at Mm -hmm. the center of the metaverse well you know what amp is in that world and even intel today made a very interesting announcement of what so they i guess i don't know if they came up with their quarter or whatever what the ceo was on and what he talked about had a lot of relevance uh for uh amped and you know we pass that on you know anthony's pretty good at knowing what's going on out there so they are in maybe one of the hottest spaces to come and they've gotten no respect because they're really you know very small company pre-revenue you know quietly been building their technology for quite some time uh but now i believe we're heading towards the intersection of where you know their capabilities and real applications meet and I think the the revenue growth, you know, could begin sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah,
3: hundred percent.
1: Yeah, um, our it was very interesting that you mentioned that because um, as soon as I saw that Zuckerberg unveiling of the metaverse that Facebook has, virtual reality. We quickly tweeted that out, didn't we, Hammy? And yeah, we put um, And as a centrophed, because to have that virtual reality, you know, metaverse, you need to have an infrastructure in place before you go ahead with that. So they are certainly building that. And Anthony's very good at building a very good, efficient and lean company. That's um, that's certainly what he's been doing. Um, let's address the elephant in the room, Sheldon. Let's talk about, uh, can we say the darling of your portfolio, peak FinTech? Um, they've done a phenomenal job recently. It had to be quiet for a couple of months, uh, but finally the word is, is getting out there. As in, what a phenomenal company it is, and you know the execution has been immaculate financially, um, and you know in terms of partnerships.
2: The company's executed. Uh, management is very transparent. Um, if you follow the monthly bulletin they file, they basically. Tell you what's going on. There's no cloak and dagger here. The market is absolutely staggeringly large, and they've demonstrated through bidding processes and so forth that their technology is superior to others. So you add that together with their footprint in China, you know, and China's getting a lot of bad press these days of what's going on with the government, yet they are kind of distinctly outside the outside of that sphere of negativism. And I think it's because of the people they have there and how they do their business and what the government is trying to sort of, I won't say crack down on, but 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 manage better. But uh, PEAK, listen, PEAK uh, obviously is performed perform well in the market. They're well capitalized to execute. They're gonna turn that money into value in the company. Uh, but what was very important, um, and you know, I was sort of involved in, in helping it behind the scenes, was Cubular acquisition. If there was a risk point in the company, it was the license that Cubular had given them and the limited time left on that license. Uh, in addition to Cubular's business model, which is a different vertical than Peaks and involves the monetization of data in private companies. And uh, through a subscription model, I think that they're gonna bring a whole other dimension uh, to peak. First thing, they'll be able to diversify it outside China, which I think everybody would like to see because of the unknowns. So North America is the bigger 800 pound gorilla. They'll be able to go there with a similar model, uh, B2B, and then they'll be able to launch the Kubler network and the Kubler engine, and that is gonna even. So what I found quite interesting in the press release when they announced the acquisition of Kubler, they said they're gonna revise uh, their guidance and anybody that's looked at their guidance either doesn't believe it at all. Well, they didn't believe it when they came out with it, but now I think they believe it. Uh, But literally I had uh, a call yesterday with, let's call it a strategic investor in one of our companies and he w- he's been involved in Peak and he says, you know, I believe that they're gonna deliver and if they do, it's a hundred dollar stock. And it, this is a guy that represents institutions, not not a retail arm waving guy. But if you look at a company like Upstart in a similar industry, I think they went public at twenty bucks or forty bucks and like a like a year ago or a bit more, I'm not sure. And and you know, they, they're over two hundred dollars now. And they just raised like 800 million so once you get in the leagues of, of top line growth and the market has confidence that you're going to deliver your guidance or exceed it you know the valuations are exponential so really you know for the most of the world 99 percent of the world once it gets on nasdaq peak is beginning people are going to think nasdaq was their ipo and they're going to look at it and go wow 10 bucks is cheap for this stock so It's it's we're looking at it through a penny stock eyes because we all began investing in it when it was a penny stock. The bones were there. It just didn't get the respect of the market. And, you know, it was still early days. But, you know, I've been involved in the company for less than a year. And I, you know, I'm like I'm beyond thrilled at at really management and what and what they've been able to accomplish and their transparency. And so it's been a tremendous. It's a tremendous company to work with. Do,
1: do you reckon it could follow in the footsteps of the likes of Shopify and be be another star in you know how great Canada can be in companies out of Canada?
2: Oh yeah, I mean I think listen, Shopify is uh, is a very unique company, a very unique platform, um, but you know can Peak be the same thing? I don't really like to arm wave at that level, but could Peak be another upstart? You know. ICO absolutely and you know so p could be a hundred dollar stock it's just the numbers work the math works and if you add cubler in and you believe in Kubler, and i don't think most people really understand uh really deeply what Kubler does and and they won't until it's actually out there and launched and and then people will realize that this is a complementary you know application uh that is outside the box of their current business and i think that they'll even get a bigger multiple because
1: of that 100%. We, i think we the take B2B, as a comparison. Yeah.
2: I, I think uh, sorry?
3: Like, oh, yeah. go ahead, Sean. No, i was just going to say it, i think it, is the b 2 b model versus the b2c i think i think that fills a bigger gap than i mean there's so many b2c other platforms out there but i mean what Kubler offers is very unique um, creating this global business economy through B2B interaction, I think, is something that the likes of Square and even maybe even uh, Ant Financial would be looking at it, you know, um, to fill some of their gaps in their systems, uh, you know. So that's kind of how and I also, look at it.
2: you know, you Amy, you avoid these privacy issues with consumers and individuals, you mm-hmm. know, where really that's China one of their big problems with uh, with Ant and 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 a lot of the other social media platforms you know, business is different, you know, Uh, you know, business is about statistics and it's about numbers and, and trends and so forth. And, and everybody wants that data, including governments. Uh, But that's business. It's, it's not sort of, well, these are the types of diapers I buy or something like that. And, you know, you don't want people to know that, or you don't want people know that you're, you're doing certain things. So uh, from that standpoint, you know, both both the peak platform and the cubular platform you know I believe are uh, could see tremendous growth and and really a, a pull in a desire to to buy that data from those companies from that from peak
0: awesome
3: um, so we're getting at about 36 minutes here I don't want to keep you too much longer we've had an incredible conversation maybe let's give some of the investors maybe new or even that have been following 3d capital just a little idea of what to expect in the coming months or maybe just why you think 3D Capital is a, a, a good investment at this point. I mean, I know we're seeing um, the announcement of the buyback. Uh, I think that's something very important that investors should pay attention to. Uh, maybe just kind of discuss that a little bit before we, uh, we head off today.
2: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a believer in uh, what we're doing. Um, I believe the stock is cheap. Uh when the whole life of pine tree capital, we would trade at about two and a half times NAV. We were very unique in that way. And I think that a big part of that had to do with our proprietary deal flow. So we're not just like a fund where, you know, ARK, okay. ARK's disruptive on a macro scale and they go out and they buy a Tesla and then now they decide they're gonna buy Bitcoin. And, you know, they're sort of buying these very mature you know, larger scale enterprises. And, um, you know, we buy early. Uh, We like to get in at the seed level and we basically say we'd like to participate all the way along. And obviously, you know, those journeys can be tough, but extremely rewarding. So people that have an appetite or want to, you know, put a, you know, a percentage of their portfolio into a basket of, very early companies that they most likely would not get access to, because a they're private, or b the circles are very small in terms of who gets to finance them. We also provide you know value-added advice that's you know been respected in a number of cases and has led to other companies uh, through referrals and so forth. Uh, we've got a big following now, and there's a lot of deals that come our way that we believe people want us involved. So that gives us a a distinct advantage over your traditional fund that might want to trade at a discount. And then we have the explosive, you know, engine of our private companies, whether it be TodaQ or PNR, or, you know, we're involved in some DeFi projects that, you know, have not yet, um, we have criteria on disclosure, um, which we've established. So once a become disclosable we disclose them um so these are the reasons i'm excited i believe that you know uh, as long as the shares trade in this range you know we'll continue to buy them back we're doing very well we're we're making money otherwise we wouldn't be able to buy those shares back um and you know that that's you know i feel i'm just investing in myself and 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 uh i know what's going on
1: 100%. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. There's As another aspect of you, Sheldon, that um, maybe many don't know and be research is that you're a big, big advocate of social justice, and um, you've done a great deal of work on on that um, space before. Do you want to talk about how COVID has caused, you know, disproportionate inequality in society? And, you know, if you have one piece of advice for younger followers or investors that they want to perhaps change their lives through investments, um, I think they will appreciate from someone who's, uh, you know, 30 odd years of experience in investing.
2: You know, you got to give back and there's no greater gift than giving back. Uh, You know, my wife's a social worker, you know, she's always dealt with, you know, the problems of society and she's been recognized for it, you know, through an order of Canada and an order of Ontario. And, you know, through that, you know, I've learned a lot. It's opened up my eyes and I've supported it. It's made me a better person. Uh, Right now we're involved in Botswana. We're gonna help the government with giving them probably a couple hundred ventilators. It's gonna cost us maybe a quarter million dollars in one of our companies. And, you know, we're doing it because a lot of these countries just can't compete in terms of providing what's necessary for their people. But, you know, I think for a young investor, you gotta balance. Like everything in life, if you balance it, it's more rewarding, you learn more. It's not just about grabbing, grabbing, grabbing as much as you can, because at the end of the day, that will be your downfall. If you don't have a balanced, you know, philosophies, uh, philosophy or values in life. So it's stood me well, it's, you know, led me to good places. And, you know, I think that's also reflected in the positive attitude of the companies that we're involved in.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Sheldon. It was great finally getting the chance to speak, see about everything, disruptive tech, mining and investments. I'm sure everyone else equally enjoyed it as much as we did. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you back on the show very, very soon. Thank you so much.
0: For sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this interview. To hear more interviews as well as our other investor education content, please subscribe to the podcast and visit our website at StockFamGroup.com, where you will gain full access to all of our free educational platforms. Also, to view the video versions of much of our content, follow us on YouTube at StockFamTV.